ladies and gentlemen. It's the Rob Report here on WDAY, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Or, heck, send me a tweet at Rob Port. We've got a busy show today. Uh, coming up at 1.30, Congressman Kevin Kramer will be on for his uh, weekly Talk Radio Town Hall. We're going to talk a lot of stuff. That BLM flaring rule, I, I know that's a little down in the weeds, but it's a big issue for our state. A lot of jobs, a lot of money, a lot of economic activity on the line. Uh, the the uh, three affiliated tribes, the Fort Berthold Reservation, don't want it. The oil industry doesn't want it. Uh, Governor Burgum doesn't want it. Attorney General Wayne Stendrum doesn't want it. We'll talk with, uh, but they're, they're still, it's still held up in the Senate. Our Senator Heidi Heitkamp is still on the fence about it. We'll talk with Congressman Kramer about that, plus whatever the heck you want to talk about. You can certainly call us and ask your comments or questions. Right now, though, I'm going to talk to uh, Jim Franklin. He is the executive director of the Minnesota Sheriff's Association. Uh, there's been a little bit of a, a dust-up between the association and uh, Governor Mark Dayton. Uh, the sheriffs sent uh, Governor Dayton a letter uh, in which they were critical of the governor's handling of what's called EMAC requests from the state of North Dakota. Those are Emergency Management Assistance Compact requests. That's an agreement among the states uh, where one state can send out, send out a call basically for help uh, from other states if there's, you know, like a natural disaster or in North Dakota's situation, you know, we had what were essentially riots. Um, a state sends out a call for help. Other states send uh, what assistance they can. It works pretty good. The Sheriff's Association thought that the governor, Governor Dayton's handling of it was a little political. Uh, governor Dayton didn't think so. As a matter of fact, he called uh, the the characterization of the Minnesota Sheriff's Association, quote, offensive. Uh, so right now we'll talk with Mr. Franklin about that. And uh, Jim, did I get all that right? And uh, what, what did you make of the governor's response to your, your group? Uh, yes, Rob, uh, that is correct. Uh, thank you for allowing us to speak with you today. Um, yes, the governor did feel that our letter was, quote, offensive. But uh, I would say now there's two parties in Minnesota that feel offended. We as sheriffs are offended by the fact that this information was not shared with us. We considered this a bona fide law enforcement request for assistance from our sister state, North Dakota. And uh, we're very disheartened by the fact and discouraged by the fact of our governor not honoring that request and not even sharing the information with us as sheriffs to attempt to respond. His his letter was, was pretty interesting, and, and I thought contradictory in, in places because – you suggested your group, right accurately, I think, suggested that, that there might have been some politics at play. Uh, Governor Dayton rejected that. And I, I want to read a quote from his letter, and you can read the entire thing at sayanythingblog.com. I have it all up there uh, if you want to read it all in context. But he, here's an excerpt. Uh, Governor Dayton writes, I quote, Your letter also asserts that EMAC requests are not political, implying that my decision was somehow tainted by political consideration, whereas North Dakota's was not. I have found that in these situations, people usually characterize decisions with which they agree as principled and decisions with which they disagree as political. I contend that this situation was made extremely political well before it was brought to my attention. North Dakota's and the pipeline company's response to the dispute created a highly charged, very public confrontation, which has engaged 
two presidents' administrations, numerous national organizations, and an extremely polarized political environment. Uh, I believe it would be unwise to send Minnesota law enforcement personnel into that highly charged and very volatile political situation. So he's saying my decision wasn't political, but I don't know. I mean, it almost seems that that sounds like a very political statement to me. I, I mean, and I know everybody's throwing around the term political and everything else, and everybody's just making decisions, but I don't know. I mean, his defining North Dakota's response to the protests as political seems unfair to me. Well, we would agree with your assessment on this particular situation. Uh, let's step back for just a moment to the process that was used. Was there political involvement, certainly from the Obama administration, not stepping forward and implementing a court order? It's my understanding that all of this had been granted through a court order through many, many hours, if not years, of duration and diligence by the varying courts. And from there, we get into public who feels that civil disobedience is somehow okay. In, uh, in many ways, civil disobedience is breaking the law. And sheriffs, as you know, day in and day out, we respond to 911 calls for public safety assistance. We do not look at them with political geographical areas of our cities or our counties. And when the state of Minnesota responds to the state of North Dakota, who has requested assistance based upon what we perceive to be a public safety request and not a political request on the part of your governor, this is what we anticipate responding to. It's not like we don't step into harm's way every single day in Minnesota. And Lord knows we've had several situations here with officer-involved shootings that have brought us into the middle of riotous situations within our own Twin Cities. So, again, we feel very comfortable that sheriffs are ready to respond to public safety requests. We feel that the request from North Dakota was, in fact, public safety and not politically motivated. 701-293-9000, if you want to join in, email talk at WDAY.com. You know, I, I spent a lot of time talking with North Dakota law enforcement officers, particularly some of the sheriffs, Sheriff Laney from Cass County, uh, Sheriff Kirkmeyer from Morton County, uh, and others, uh, both on the record and off the record. And honestly, I don't know where those guys stood on the political question of the pipeline. I have no idea if they were against the pipeline, if they were for the pipeline, if they like oil development, uh, if, if they're environmental. I have no idea. No idea at all what their politics were. And honestly, when I was talking with them, it was irrelevant because what they were addressing was a law enforcement situation. We had people who were breaking the law, vandalizing equipment, uh, putting members of the public in danger, blocking highways. Uh, I mean, those are illegal things. And law enforcement was trying to keep control of a situation that at times seemed very close to getting out of control, which is why we asked other states for assistance, because North Dakota, we have, we're have we a low-population state, didn't have the resources to go after that. So, so, so to suggest that this was a political situation, nobody was asking Minnesota law enforcement officials to come here and help build the pipeline. Uh, it was just coming here saying we have people who are breaking the law and we need assistance addressing that. 
right? I mean, that, 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 was, that was the gist of the request. And by the way, we should be clear, some Minnesota Sheriff's Departments did come over. Hennepin County, I know, did. Anoka County did. Uh, they did come and, and address, which, which I guess leads me to a question. Why did those earlier requests get through? I mean, if, if, if the governor, in, in your letter, you're saying, you know, he, he withheld some requests or kept some requests quiet. But some some departments did come over. So so how did that happen? I mean, how is it that, that we did get some assistance from Minnesota? Yes, let's take a step back in time. Number one, we did, as sheriffs, receive a request for the first response. And we suggested to North Dakota at that time that the proper channel is to use EMAC. North Dakota, rightly so, backed up and said, you're right, we will send a request through EMAC to the state of Minnesota and other states. This was the first request. The first request did come in, was processed by the Department of Public Safety, did apparently go through the governor's office, but I don't really know that they fully understood what they were signing or allowing. When the notice came to us as sheriffs that we had been asked and permission given to respond, we had three sheriff's offices that did respond and sent personnel. But we were sorely criticized by the lieutenant governor of this state, and the allegation was that the governor's office never gave that approval. They backtracked on that later on, realizing that they had approved something that I'm not sure that they quite understood what they were approving. But those three agencies that sent personnel to North Dakota for the first response were the recipients of enormous amounts of political directed criticism because we sent law enforcement officers to assist North Dakota. The perception was that we were backing the oil company backing North Dakota that was backing the oil company, when in fact nothing could be further from the truth. We were there to support all rights of all persons who were dissenting or working, trying to keep the peace and administer the rule of law. And you're correct. We did not take sides for or against this particular issue. Well, I, I think that's absolutely right. You know, the, the question of whether or not the pipeline was going to be built, that, that was a matter for the policymakers and for the courts, and it always was. But when the pipeline company has the legal authority to build the pipeline, which they did, there was not one instance where they were ever building the pipeline in defiance of the law, um, you know, they're allowed to do that. And if other people try to illegally stop that, they are breaking the law, and, and there are consequences for that, which is what law enforcement officials are for. Um, and, and so the, the, the whole situation was just unfortunate. We're out of time. Any last statements on this? I mean, it's uh, to, to me, this, this shouldn't even be something that we're debating, but we are now. And I, I think that in and of itself is a sign of how polarized everything has become where we can't even agree that the laws ought to be enforced. But any last statements, Mr. Franklin? Well, we look forward. We want the residents of North Dakota and we want the law enforcement community of North Dakota to recognize and know that we, Minnesota law enforcement, support public safety and support your efforts to create a good public safety environment in North Dakota. And if asked, we will respond. 
All right. Well, that sounds good. Mr. Franklin, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was Jim Franklin, executive director of the Minnesota Sheriff's Association. It's pathetic that we even have to debate this. It really is. And Governor Dayton's being a fool. More to come straight ahead. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, WDAY, 701-293-9000, Congressman Kevin Kramer coming up in the next segment, so get your comments or questions ready for that. Natil, good afternoon. Welcome back. Yes, I am really glad to be back, well-rested and migraine-free. Couple of days off. Um, you know, this this situation with Governor Dayton really frustrates me, because setting aside, and I listen, I get, people have a lot of strong opinions about the Dakota Access Pipeline and oil development in general and pipelines and all that stuff. And and that's fine. That's politics. We have those debates. That's 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 okay. The problem I have with what Governor Dayton's doing is he is it seems like he is defining somehow as political law enforcement officers protecting the pipeline company's legal right to build a pipeline, as well as public safety protecting the public from some of the protesters who got a little extreme with their antics. Am, am I missing something here, Natil? I mean, am I not seeing this right? Because I, I think what he did was wrong. I, I would agree. Um, it's it's a really tough situation to be in, but I I think that I think that the governor should have passed on the requests as they were sent. Right. I mean, I, I, I get uh, some people don't like that the pipeline moved forward right so they're upset by that but that was a political decision right i mean that was made by regulators policymakers, and was being adjudicated in the courts right i mean if the pipeline they had plenty of opportunities to to make their filings in the courts the judges could have stopped it and rejected the pipeline uh, at any point and they didn't uh you know multiple judges at, at multiple levels of of the judicial system uh, some of whom were Obama appointees, by the way. So, you know, again, it's it's like, you know, the, the laws say it's okay to build a pipeline. The policymakers say it's okay to build a pipeline. The regulators, the courts say it's okay to build a pipeline. At that point, it is law enforcement's job to protect that, right? I, I mean, because otherwise, otherwise, then law enforcement just sort of protects whatever the politicians in charge think is right at the moment. And that's not rule of law. That's rule of man. And that's... That's what our whole system of government was built to, to, to avoid, was to avoid that very sort of thing. Um, by the way, I, I spoke with Governor Doug Burgum's office about this, uh, and he's staying out of it. Um, he says, you know, he essentially has no comment on Governor Dayton's response to the Minnesota Sheriff's Association. Uh, and just went on to, to thank Minnesota for the assistance that they did provide. So Governor Burgum staying out of it, which is probably the, the smart thing to do, the right thing to do. You know, this is probably a Minnesota issue that they need to to settle internally. But, you know, that that EMAC process is is very, very important. And I don't think anybody wants politicians to start playing politics like, oh, well, we don't like North Dakota or, you know, this involves an oil company. So we're not we're not going to help out with law enforcement now. That is that is ridiculous and, and offensive, really offensive. 
I don't like it. Because that's, I, I really do think it's sort of a microcosm for how polarized everything has become, right? Like, th- th- we get to the point where it's like we can't even recognize what the law is, right? The, the law doesn't matter. The policy doesn't matter. The process doesn't matter. It's just about whatever we feel at the moment, right? So if somebody says something that makes us mad, then it's okay to silence them because it's how we feel at the moment and what they said made us mad. And and to heck with the First Amendment and to heck with everything else that, that protects their right to speak or the right to build a, an oil pipeline or the right to drive down a public highway unimpeded by a bunch of political zealots. <sighs> we shouldn't be, law enforcement shouldn't be politicized. But it is. Everything's political now. Everything's partisan. That's what Governor Dayton's doing. Anyway, Congressman Kevin Kramer coming up next. Hey, news breaking. Trump's budget, according to Senator Heidi Heitkamp's office, is proposing a 16% cut to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers' budget. She's saying that could hurt the Fargo-Moorhead flood diversion project. I'll ask Congressman Kramer about that. Plus... Whatever you want to talk to him about. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Rob Report. I want to read this uh, email last segment. We're talking about Governor uh, Mark Dayton, who uh, accused of the Minnesota Sheriff's Association of withholding requests for North Dakota for assistance with the Dakota Access Pipeline protest. Kyle says, uh, Kyle from Moorhead says, Governor Dayton was, is correct. Some law enforcement from Minnesota did go to help North Dakota during the DAPL protests. Many Minnesota counties and city police departments have a shortage of law enforcement officers. Governor Dayton has no obligation to endlessly subsidize North Dakota officials' failure to properly plan a response to those DAPL protests. North Dakota officials created this problem through their own decisions. Therefore, North Dakota is responsible for solving their own problems they created with their own law enforcement resources. That is absolute malarkey, Kyle. North Dakota did not create that problem. North Dakota approved, in accordance with the law, a lawful pipeline project. A bunch of uh, political extremists decided to come to North Dakota and protest that pipeline. Many of them chose to act in illegal ways, and North Dakota simply did not have the law enforcement resources to combat uh, you know, thousands and thousands of protesters down in, in rural south-central North Dakota. We did need assistance from other states. We got assistance from many other states, including Minnesota. No department that has a shortage is under any obligation to send help. But at the very least, Governor Dayton should have passed the, the request on that he didn't, that he chose to play politics with it. I know he's denying that, but I absolutely think he, played, he played politics with it. That's on him. That's wrong. I hope there's some political consequences for him for that. All right, let's move on to our guest, Congressman Kevin Kramer. Kevin, how's it going? It's well, it's going well. It's been a lot of late nights and early mornings, and uh, it's it's stimulating debate going on in Washington these days. But it's all, I think it's all good. Um, I have to say though, with regard to the the email you just read from Kyle, I, I would tell you though, the federal government does deserve a lot of the blame for this. Not oh, not do. because they, and you know the. Not because of anything necessarily they did, but because of things they didn't do. And one of the things they did not do was allow our law enforcement officers in North Dakota to um, issue citations on people who were breaking the law on federal land. 
And while our sheriffs in the Morton County Sheriff's Department has jurisdiction on the campsites that, that are on core land, the core refused to um, file charges or seek, seek their uh, seek their help. And they really exacerbated. The federal government really owns no, much right. of the law enforcement problem here. And I think we still have to keep doing what we can through uh, litigation and or appropriation to get uh, reimbursement from the people who are most responsible for the problem. That's the federal government. I agree. Uh, I want to ask you about some breaking news right now. Um, Senator Heidi Heitkamp's office saying that President Donald Trump's uh, is proposing a 16% cut to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers' budget. Uh, she says that uh, Senator Heitkamp saying that she's going to fight harder to ensure that the Fargo-Moorhead diversion uh, gets needed funding. So I guess I guess the uh, the insinuation there is that this proposed cut could hurt the Fargo-Moorhead diversion. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I've looked at that part of the budget, and I don't, frankly, I don't see it. First of all, he, he's actually asking for five billion dollars, which is uh, four hundred million dollars more than President Obama had in his fiscal year seventeen budget. So it's actually an increase from the previous um, presidential request. Now it is a billion less than the um, than the current budget, but there's nothing in the the, the president's budget that proposes the cuts come from um, the flood risk management construction program, which is what would fund projects like the FM diversion. Um, he, there's nothing specific in there at all related to the FM diversion or even that pot of money. Um, so I, I really, to me, it doesn't look like the project's at risk, certainly not from the Trump administration. Um, and we couldn't do any worse than we did with the Obama administration. Not only that, but the, the, the reality is, is that the, the uh, core budget, like so many others, while the president provides their their blueprint, really starts in the House of Representatives. And um, I've always supported funding for the flood risk management investigation and construction account in the past, and we will in the future. Um, but but also we also have to remember the history of this project. The FM diversion is already being funded at significant state and local levels. And re- remember the whole public-private partnership piece that we were able to insert in the House in the WERDA project, in the in the WERDA authorization bill that authorized this project. Um, that's what allowed Fargo-Moorhead in the state of North Dakota to um, use, utilize more uh, a more um, creative model that lowered the cost for all the taxpayers, and we should continue to do that. Um, federal money usually comes with more cost than the money allows. And so the more we can do at the local and state level, apart from the federal government, really, the, the better off we are. We've got a uh, caller, Jim. Go ahead, Jim. Hey, Jim. Jim is, Jim is gone. Oh, Jim's gone. Okay. Uh, well, let's keep moving along. 701-293-9000. You want to join the program? 888-970-9329. Uh, also wanted to ask you, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Senator Heitkamp um, saying that, that we got cuts to what's called the Essential Air Service Program, and I spoke about this yesterday. I don't like this program. It sure looks like a waste of tax dollars to me. I think it ought to be cut. What are your thoughts? You know, it's interesting. One of the things, and, and I'm, I'm still sort of processing some of that, but I will say this much. Eliminating the entire program makes more sense to me than cutting it you know, bits and pieces here and there, like it had been trying in the past. We, we've had, to, we've we've gone on. I've gone to the floor, and we've avoided cuts to the EAS um, multiple times. But the bottom line is this: everybody talks about what's cut in the in the Trump budget, and and they talk about it with their hands ringing, like somehow the the world's coming to an end if some bureaucracy gets cut here or there. We have a really big problem in this country, starting with a trillion, a twenty trillion dollar. Debt. The other problem we have is that our 
military, which is the highest priority of the federal government, especially this commander in chief, because it wasn't in the last for the last one, it had to be has to be restored and rebuilt. But while well, which, by the way, is very good for North Dakota, it's including it's good for some North Dakota airports. So we're going to have to set priorities. I think when one, you know, when one looks at the essential air service, and this is the kind of stuff that gets, you know. Uh, politicians in trouble in populist uh, congressional districts. But when you consider a nearly $3,000 per passenger subsidy to fly out of airports that are, you know, 90 minutes from other airports, I think it's hard to justify that, Rob. I I know this is heresy, um, but uh, I'm sorry. We have got to set priorities in this country. And, um, you know, having having a, a program... It, let's face it. We're not we're not feeding anybody with this. We're sitting here debating right now how we're going to keep uh, health care uh, available for um, you know have access available for all Americans, and then we're going to subsidize you know travel, uh, jet travel, commercial jet travel for people when um, you know the, for the price of a tank of gas they could get to Fargo and back or, or Grand Forks or, or Minot and back. Um, yeah. I, I just really think your analysis of it is pretty careful. I, I actually, as soon as this came out, this budget thing came out, I thought, you know what, it's time to sort of speak up on behalf of some of these cuts. We just can't all sit and defend our sacred cows and expect that we're going to get to a balanced budget someday. I want to talk about health care a little bit because that's obviously been a, a – obviously it's the – it's the the big gorilla over in Washington D.C. right now. Uh, where are we? I mean, because it, it's there. There just seems to be a lot of consternation about this, and a lot of people are saying specifically, Republicans campaigned on repealing Obamacare, and this is not repealing Obamacare. What's your response? Well, it, it is repealing Obamacare. It's not even. It's not even a question of it. It is absolutely repealing and replacing Obamacare. The bigger consternation in Washington is, is some people don't like that we're replacing re, uh, it. Um, but the trick here is always to get to get consensus and to get the, a majority vote. So we have several people on the moderate side of the Republican Party who think it's not it's not generous enough that Medicaid expansion should be enhanced um, and not not eventually um, eliminated or, or or transitioned out. And there are many people on the right, the Freedom Caucus most specifically, think that it's too generous because it allows the expansion to uh, the expansion states to keep people on and grandfather them on for the next three years and then. For forever for those that are in it, um, that the tax credits are too generous. Uh, some people think that. Others think that, um, you know, eliminating Obamacare altogether and the exchanges is, you know, too cruel, um, that, that getting rid of a trillion dollars worth of taxes. You know, you got a guy like Rand Paul, for example, who calls it Obamacare light, and then he proposes Obamacare on steroids that keeps all of the taxes nearly and um, and doesn't, and doesn't uh, eliminate uh, any, you know, he keeps... Two trillion dollars worth of costs in in the exchanges. So there's no perfect rob, but that's part of the problem. I think for for me, I think the real challenge for Republicans right now is: are we going to be the opposite? Are we going to always be the opposition party, or are we going to be the governing party? And too many people want perfect to be the enemy of good. And if that's the case, it's like I've always said: if it's always all or nothing. You generally get nothing, but we're, you know we have the Americans for Tax Reform support our, our legislation. Uh, the the um, National Taxpayers Union supports it. National Right to Life supports it. You know, Restaurant Association, uh, NFIB, a lot of conservative groups support it. Um, and uh, and we just if we don't do something, we're gonna it's going to be Obamacare for another year or two, and then it will collapse, and then there'll be. 
and then we'll be in a, on a big time rescue mission. Why not let it collapse? Well, politically, that would probably be okay, but I don't think it's very responsible because what's happened, what, what the biggest problem with Obamacare is the individual market. The individual market's been decimated by Obamacare. And consequently, for example, you take young people, they're incented to not be in the market. 20 million people have chosen not to buy insurance because the penalty is cheaper or it's it's, it's easier to um, just sort of avoid it. And, and so you have this insurance pool that is, you know, that is heavy on um, elderly and, and, and sicker people, and that's made it impossible to, to uh, um to afford for a lot of people. We can do this. We can absolutely fix this. It is going to, and it's going to save a lot of money. It's going to bring, bring uh, cost of insurance down significantly as per the CBO score. But a lot of people are upset because they say that passing our bill will knock 14 million people off of insurance. Well, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a mandate right now. It's a mandate that you have to have it. You have to buy it. You have to buy yeah. it from the exchange. And, you know, it creates a monopoly, a government monopoly. And, and some people um, don't want to buy on the exchange. But if we can make it more affordable and make it more competitive, more people will volunteer to buy um, insurance in the private market. And, uh, and then they can buy what they need as opposed to what the government says they have to have. Kevin, we got about two minutes left. I, I wanted to ask you about this, though. BLM rule, that's the flaring rule. Uh, the three affiliated tribes wants it wants it blocked. Uh, Governor Burgum wants it blocked. Attorney General Wayne Stendrum wants it blocked. Of yeah. course, the oil and gas industry wants it blocked. Nobody in North Dakota likes this. I'm, I'm reading a letter. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike Wald wrote a letter to the editor of the Grand Forks Herald today. He said there's a vote coming in the U.S. Senate. It isn't a headline catcher, but it would seriously harm North Dakota's energy industry. Senator Heidi Heitkamp will cast the critical vote. Will she stand behind the 73,000 workers in North Dakota, uh, North Dakota's oil and gas industry? Heitkamp hasn't committed yet. What's the deal here? What's going on? I don't really know what, why she hasn't. I have not talked to her about it. I've talked to people who have talked to her. They come and talk to me all the time. And um, I don't know why she's not committed to it. I Personally, I think we do have 50 senators, and the, and the Vice President Pence has said he'll gladly cast the deciding vote. Um, but, you know, there's one senator, Isaacson, who's who's had back surgery a couple weeks ago, and he's not been back for votes yet. I think when they get him back, I think they're going to have 50, 50 Republican votes in the vice president. But um, I think at that point, I, I can't predict what she's going to do. But to me, the BLM flaring rule is aimed right at North Dakota. It's an anti-North Dakota rule. It's not like it's not anti-Texas. It's not. It's anti-North Dakota. And so it just seemed impossible for me that, to believe that she wouldn't vote. Unless she's unless she's you know negotiating for something else, and uh, you know she's she's pretty savvy, so you never know. Maybe she's going to hold her vote out and get something for it. Maybe maybe that yeah. the EAS funding or something. Maybe you never know. <laughs> Kevin, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, Rob. Kevin Kramer, usually on Wednesdays, open phones, town hall, 701-293-9000, We'll wrap up the show right after this. So go away. Headed down south to the land of... Welcome back, Rob Report. Got to wrap things up right away here because we went a little long with Congressman Kevin Kramer, but I think it's good to get all his answers in. Uh, Jay Thomas Show coming up next. Stay tuned for that. You can always catch me here Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m., 24 hours a day, seven days a week at SayAnythingBlog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Like the northern wind a-blowin' Yeah, my lonely heart's frozen Never knew I'd find a way to break yours too